Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I am joined, as ever, by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst. I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I'm a podcast person who's overjoyed to be reunited with Dan Martin, special effects artist extraordinaire. And Dan, you have picked such an amazing film for this week. It's an underseen one. Everyone knows it's a house that screamed because they'll have read it in the description. But why did you go for this film? What's your history with this film? Well, I mean, as is not that infrequently the case, this is a film that we watched, I believe, for the first time together. Correct. Certainly my first time was watching with you. Yeah. It represents that, my, my favourite genre of cinema, which is... Films I should have seen earlier and turned out to be fantastic. Yeah. People that have been nerding out to deep cuts as long as you and I, and people who, you know, started out pre-internet going to film fairs and bootleg sellers and all this kind of stuff to find these obscurities and would spend mm-hmm. months tracking down, years tracking down a single title. Mm. Especially with everything being so available these days, it, it could often feel like you've almost run out of great cinema to stumble across. I mean, you know, people are making great films all the time, but the the classics, we've kind of run the gamut. I mean, the other side of it is the huge mainstream classics that we've resisted for some reason or another, for personal right. reasons, which is a, another another tale entirely. Yeah. But when you come across something like The House That Screamed, uh, Boarding School, Residencia, whichever, you know, whichever those titles you know it by, it's such a treat. It's so exciting to almost stumble across. I mean, normally it's through recommendation. Yeah. Um, something of this quality that you've not seen before. I just absolutely love this film. There's a there's a very particular aesthetic that runs through, I think particularly Spanish cinema, genre mm. cinema of this mm-hmm. era. Um, but there's a very particular uh, aesthetic here that I really, really like. The, the warmth of the screen and the coldness of the cast uh, combined to make something that's really special and really ticks all these like emotional boxes for me with genre cinema. Absolutely love it. Yeah, completely, completely agree. It, it kind of feels like a... A gothic romance novel meets a woman in prison movie. Um, yeah. it, it kind of reminds me of those paperbacks like from the, the 60s and 70s with like a lady running away from a house or a castle in a flowing dress. But everything about this film is just so beautifully constructed. The locations, the props are just so stunning. Like this is one of those movies where a cutaway to a clock will take your breath away. It's an important film as well as a great film. And I think the reason it was so accessible, the reason, I mean, you know, other than being inaccessible in a literal sense, but the reason it was so accessible once we got hold of it, once we saw it, Mm. was that this was a a conscious effort to cross a cultural gap. You and I both very much enjoy uh, Spanish cinema, whether it's, you know, big budget stuff or, or small uh indie gems yeah and this is an interesting one because it's it's from the late 60s um but it was shot in english and it was intended for an overseas sale it was intended to be an international movie and they put a lot of money into this and it really tells like it's a very sumptuous and good looking picture Mm. but it's kind of the first time spain had attempted like a big budget horror film as well which again i think that that knowledge makes a lot of what's going on on screen more interesting and more satisfying as well because it's still pretty daring and pretty out there and we really need to underline that fact that it was released in 1969 because that is such a key part of the joy of watching this film because any argento fans watching this movie will be kind of flabbergasted by how resonant it is of suspiria for example 
which came out, what, eight years after this film. There are shots and sequences that could be easily cut into Suspiria and you wouldn't notice the difference, basically. Yeah, it, it feels it feels like its echoes were very much felt through European cinema at the time. Yeah. It's a very influential film and there's loads and loads of things that I knew before I knew this where you can feel its its effects. Uh, I've talked about this before when you when you watch a classic film and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, that's the missing piece that connects all these things. This this kind of feels like one of those, but for Euro horror or Euro thriller of the of the era. Absolutely, and for all its lushness and all the rest of it, it does succeed as a horror movie. It does take a long time to get to the horror. It does feel like a drama for a very long time. But once you get to the first on-screen murder, it's just so brilliantly delivered. Really amazing. It's a perfect amalgamation of sound, slow motion, and overlaid imagery that feels very poetic. It's a real kind of turning point moment. And just before it kicks off, when we first see this silhouette of the killer... It's just, it, there's a very modern, creepy moment. Like, that really stood out to me. What stood out to you, Dan? There's just such a, like, a strong feeling of oppression all the way yes. through the film. Yeah, yeah. There's this, inc- like, it's such a good, it's a vibe movie. Yeah. <laughs> because it does such a good job of just, like, infecting you with mm. this mood. I think modern audiences now are so used to kind of being told everything right we'll talk about this more in the next episode <laughs> <laughs> but modern audiences are so used to having stuff like spelled out to them it's really interesting to go back and look at film where they were still kind of experimenting with how little you could get away with telling an audience and how much you could do with tonality yeah that's really the thing like aside from the aesthetic aside from the, the colors and the design and, and all of the little details the technical details that make me love this film the the real like cornerstone of my love for this movie is this absolutely unrelenting feeling of like oppression yeah oppression and, fact, and yeah. repression yeah it's about pent-up sexual aggression to a certain extent and the repression of certain desires that goes hand in hand with the fact that it's it's quite interesting and refreshing not just for now but doubly so for a film from the from the 60s yeah and you know on the gateway to the 70s the a male director making a film about suppression and repression yeah uh set in an all-girls school isn't just massively sexualizing these young women right it's it's a beautiful movie but it's not spending all of its time leering at the beauty of its cast exactly yeah and there's nothing gratuitous and everything has a sinister edge there's no kind of celebration of anything in this film. It's all seeped in uh, an eerie feeling of threat, like you say. So, yeah, I mean, I guess when I say it takes a long time to get to the horror, I do mean gore and murder as opposed to atmosphere because, yeah, that atmosphere is consistent throughout. Absolutely. It's it's definitely, I'd say it's a horror film before you get to the horror right like it's before you get to the gore the slasher stuff yeah yeah um the stuff that makes it a sort of proto giallo yes you've got aspects that are horrific albeit on a more sort of like societal emotional and personal level absolutely yeah and that kind of puts it more in line with the modern horror that we've talked about before what do you call it trauma exploitation oh yeah very much puts it in line with that i mean you could see this being released on shudder today without too many changes and uh yeah 
considering it was made in 1969, as I said, that's that's pretty pretty incredible. Also, before we get to the extras, I do want to talk about the soundtrack, um, the score, because mm. that's another next level element of this. I wonder if potentially there was some influence from Psycho on this film without getting into any plot stuff whatsoever. I'm not connecting it necessarily to the plot, but I am connecting it to the music. Um, it has the that moments, kind of level yeah. of intensity. I was thinking of Psycho earlier because it, it's such a perfect bracket to the to the year, to the decade rather, Yeah. with with Psycho and to a lesser and or greater extent, depending on your view, Les Yusons Visage in 1960. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then this in 69. Like them as black and white and shocking for their period. This rich technicolor, shocking for its period. Like it, it feels like a perfect book ending to the the cinematic decade. And I think you're completely right that there are through lines from Psycho to this, just as there were from Diabolique to Psycho, and just yeah. as horror has always sort of piggybacked from oh, its yeah. successes to its successes, from its bold choices to its bold choices. Definitely, horror is is a genre that works from the understanding of the shared psyche the understanding of what makes us all tick mm. and so obviously it's going to eat itself obviously there's going to be this sort of ouroboros going on with with looking at what works and then trying to take that and twist it or make it more extreme or push it further and sometimes that leads to formula and homogeny and dreck but sometimes it leads to these amazing sort of like crazy like detours away from the mainstream yeah. that are able to to take something that we're familiar with and just turn it on its head. That's one of the successes of The House That Screamed is that it is taking things that are cinematically familiar and perverting them. It's it's taking them and, and pushing them into places that we are, even now, surprised by. Definitely. But audiences yeah. in, in 1969 must have been absolutely fucking shocked. Yeah, 100%. And it, and it is those elements that have made it so influential and so resonant. And so, yeah, if there's anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the movie, who really wants to, to fill a very, very key gap in the evolution of horror. Sorry, Mike Munzer. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you really, really should pick up this disc. And it's got some cool extras as well. Do you remember, we watched this so long ago, I think it was like maybe over 10 years ago that we watched this yeah. together for the first time. I've got a memory of watching it in Spanish with subtitles, but did we watch this version? Can you remember? I, no, I don't think it was as long as this version. There's there's definitely extra footage in this version. Yeah, oh, um. for sure. But I, I'm sure we saw it in the Spanish language. The only kind of Spanish version I got was there's a highlight reel of stuff that appeared on the Spanish version that was cut and isn't in either of the versions that's on this disc. Yeah. We should point out there are two versions here, the theatrical release and then um, the extended. Um, and yeah, yeah the when... The UK version... Mm-hmm. It may be that you watch the 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 non uncut version then, because the the disc states that it has the original lossless English mono on both versions, but the lossless Spanish audio only on the uncut version. I actually I watched both and I tried both. And, I'm, I'm and, looking at the UK listing, so maybe it's different in the states. And, and the uncut version is um, much higher quality um, than the yeah. theatrical yeah, yeah, version, yeah. so uh, that's the one that I went for. But when I was listening to the commentary, whenever it went silent they were speaking in Spanish. So I, I just got a weird mixed up <laughs> situation with my disc. But yeah. I, was, I was sad to, to not get to, to watch it in the way that we watched it the first time. I think maybe it could be a problem with my machine. It could be the US disc, whatever it is. Just something to highlight for anyone who's, uh, 
particularly attached to watching stuff in in the original language. Let's uh, talk a bit more about those extras. Actually, I mentioned Anna's commentary, the right person for the right movie. There were some quiet moments, and but overall, more of a spread of Spanish horror cinema as opposed to like a kind of fixating specifically on this movie even though there's lots of great facts and detail about this film it is more of a general commentary is that fair to say like i liked it as a commentary i good. thought it was good it's weirdly i think the the even now despite who you know who we've had living with us on occasion over the years and her amazing work uh, uh shayla rowan leg stays with us when she's in the uk for festivals and she's an amazing academic studier mm-hmm. of of spanish genre cinema yeah. uh, and obviously uh, my wife and i and, and you sam know anna um so like it's not like we haven't had these amazing sort of guides to spanish cinema but i do still feel that there's a there's gaps you know there's there's spaces where i could learn more and i between you know it's it's very difficult for me a a dumb brit to not lump a spanish and mexican cinema together a lot on some level yeah and i think that both areas are are spaces where i i could i'd love more recommendations if any of our listeners have have uh, like deep cuts from from either of those two countries that they want to recommend i'd be very very excited to hear them yeah absolutely yeah uh same here so a really solid commentary not one that i will necessarily return to but i enjoyed it while i was listening to it it was slightly surreal to watch the interviews for this film even though um Hmm. you know only a couple of the cast appear and everyone else is related to the film rather than a direct part of it so you've got the author of the story on which it was based and the son of the director and another spanish film expert but they're all interesting conversations and the ones with the cast were particularly surreal because this is a movie that we watched together over a decade ago on a slightly you know it was a slightly scratchy grainy print we recommended it on i think either the first or the second ever episode of the arrow video podcast And now here we are watching a beautiful transfer with grown-up versions of the kids in this movie talking about their experiences. And I just never would have expected to, to see this film get a release like this. So all of it was exciting for me, basically. Yeah, how did you feel about those extras? It's, it's the usual good job that yeah. I do. It's, yeah. it's pretty exhaustive. Obviously, they're, you know, they're wasn't a huge amount to go back to there's not yeah. a lot of people still around which you know often happens with the older movies and it, yeah. and being a, a rarer slightly less heard of slightly more obscure title there's not as much library stuff to dip dip into i guess yeah. but i think they've done a pretty pretty solid job you know like they've got a lot of in, intelligent people saying intelligent things about it and they've they've gone back to whoever they could it's pretty thorough pretty exhaustive as far as you can go with it with a movie like this it's it, yeah it's i mean obviously the star of the show is the movie yeah and the fact that it's after all this time there's a, a movie we discovered we felt like was a hidden gem we loved it at the time i've watched it maybe three or four times since then and then suddenly here's a longer version and that seems to be happening more and more with the the attention mm-hmm. that boutique labels are, are paying to, to tracking down like camera negatives stuff is turning up lost footage is emerging and it's amazing to be able to compare the scratchy bootlegs of yesteryear to these like quite frankly beautiful pictures that feel like they could be a very well done study of era cinema shot on modern equipment let's move on to recommendations based on the film i think i'll go first here because i'm going to recommend another movie that dan and i have watched together 
uh, I don't think it was the first time for Dan, but it was the first time for me when we watched Who Could Kill a Child, aka yeah. Would You Kill a Child? Incredible, incredible film from the 70s, 1976. Same director as The House That Screamed. Completely different stylistically, but it has that same real powerful atmosphere of dread from the opening, very disturbing opening credits. Like it's, It is definitely more intense than House at Screen. Uh, a perfect movie about a couple of English tourists who go to an island and find that the kids have basically taken over. It's, think Children of the Corn meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very different tonally if you are going to double bill them but it's just another essential movie. He did two films, and they are these two films. Yeah, and they're both masterpieces. What an output, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a lovely Mondo Macabro Blu-ray, uncut Blu-ray of uh, Who Could Kill a Child out there. If you want to catch it, it is an absolute banger. It really is. It really is. All right, Dan, what's next from you, or first from you, I should say? It's one we've mentioned before, although it recently got a... um, I think it recently got a, a US uh, release in lovely quality. I haven't actually dipped into the set that I think it's part of. Carlos Enrico Tabuada's uh, 1986 uh, girls' school uh, horror movie, Poison for the Fairies. Yeah, great. Um, which is an, an absolute treat. Not as galling as, uh, or not as, as shocking, I would say, but just as uncomfortable. But it plays around with the language of fairy tales. It plays around with misplaced trust in the innocence of children. Not that far from, you know, what uh, Who Could a Child turns on, although not to nearly such grisly results. But it's about a young girl at a, at a school who convinces a classmate that she is, she has supernatural powers, she's magic. And she convinces this child to become her, like, like her lackey uh and it's about their relationship as it grows it's about lies and deceit and trusting your peers and disregarding a trust in authority and it's one of those things where it starts with a little seed and then it just keeps on like very gently pushing back boundaries of acceptance until you're in a place that's really quite uncomfortable uh, and i always really like that in cinema to, to take the audience by the hand and just gently lead them somewhere horrible <laughs> I'm going to go completely obvious. We mentioned it before, but I am going to go with Suspiria because you never know. We've said this before. There's someone out there listening to this who hasn't watched Suspiria. And for everyone else who has watched it, it perfectly contextualizes the the house at screen because both of them are set within schools. Both of them have a threat from the people who are supposed to be looking after uh, the children at that school and both feature scenes in ballet studios and young women wandering around corridors looking very nervous and opening doors that take them uh, into places that they probably uh, don't want to go that's as far as I'll, I'll say on that I don't really need to say anything more about the movie itself you've all seen it except for those who haven't and for those who haven't welcome to your new favorite film it's glorious Suspiria. The only thing I recommend more it. scary than the last <laughs> yeah. four months is the first 96. Yeah, really disappointing <laughs> <86. ending. laughs> Um I was at a gallery opening last night, and as I walked down the stairs to the, to the basement floor where there was like a, an extra bit of art, a very narrow wall that smelt of fresh paint, mm. I, um, a young woman was coming up the stairs the other way, and she had uh, like a sort of very like sort of tattered deliberately torn up kind of fashionable top on 
uh, quite low cut. And across her chest, she had the biggest fucking Suspiria tattoo I have ever seen. <laughs> 12 centimeter tall letters of the of the the text from the original Italian Locandina across her chest. Well, interestingly enough, Dan, when you eventually meet Shay, when I'm able to get over to the UK or you're out in the States, um, you will discover that Shay also has uh, a Suspiria tattoo. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. It's on her arm and it's the ballet dancer from the the oh, nice. cover. And it is it covers the whole of the top of her arm. It's, it's massive. So, yeah, we're uh, <laughs> big into Suspiria in this house as well. So uh, if you haven't seen it, a delight. Dan, what's next from you? Um, so I've got a fun game for you, Sam, because <laughs> the, the next one on my list is a film I cannot remember the title of. Oh, good. OK, let's see. <laughs> OK, so it's not. I'm just going to get this out of the way. It's not Giallo a Venezia. Okay. All right, because, you know, it's not that film. Um, but it is a giallo and it is set in Venice. I'm pretty sure we watched it together. Uh, I'm pretty sure the main characters are younger than the traditional uh, protagonists in a giallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of buggering about on the canals of Venice and in boats and lots of very, like, lovely, rich Technicolor footage of Venice, lots of GV stuff. But the main plot uh, concerns... Uh, someone maybe a hunchback or like a a disfigured man in some way who's locked up in a room at the top of a flight of stairs that lead down to the water and these kids will go up and they'll peek through a keyhole and they'll see this this man going apeshit in his room and then also murders are happening in venice and uh and is it is it him is he is he getting out this 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 hunchback man in the room or is it? Um, is he unrelated? Is he somehow a victim of the person doing the murders? Who can tell? That's the perennial giallo situation, isn't it? Where they they offer mm-hmm. you an obvious uh, person, and, and maybe they're a red herring in all but some of the worst, more recent giallos. They are a red herring. <laughs> <laughs> Does that ring any bells for you, Sam? Do you know what the hell I'm talking about? We haven't watched this together. I have never seen it. I would definitely remember. The, uh, the the hunchback at the top of the stairs element. It sounds incredible. We're going to have to uh, ask the precious arrowheads I've to read, help I've read us out. so many lists of Giallo <laughs> in the last few days trying to work out what the fuck this is. No, and, and it doesn't help that if you Google <laughs> Giallo in Venice... <laughs> All you get is Giallo Venezia. Although, actually, <laughs> yeah. there's quite a few Giallo set in Venice. So, like, right. that, even then not not helpful wow the 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 seo power of uh of jello in venice is, is pretty impressive then but yes please precious precious arrowhead help us out tweet us x us whatever it is um or or it's thread us, us. It's still tweet us. Or, or or you know do i sound like a middle-aged man yet um whatever it is that you young people do please let us know what this movie that dan thinking of is because he recommends it right yeah, I do. I mean, it's 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 a little tawdry, not nearly as tawdry as Giallo Venezia, which I stress once again, I am not recommending. <laughs> um, but it's the it's the young cast, it's the visual aesthetic, and it's a sort of general tone that that make me connect it to the house that screamed. 
but yeah no i just can't for the life of me remember what it is and i like i would have jettisoned it from my list under normal circumstances but i've spent so much time trying to figure it out that i'm basically now just leveraging this uh, podcast into a platform to ask for people to to help me remember what this film's called yeah and if arrow could do us a favor and just release it so that we can cover it on a future episode that would be nice too um we're, we're also appealing to the arrow staff here let's move on to recommendations uh, based on the past couple of weeks i'm gonna go first with one of the best films i've seen all year um or for a long time actually it's uh, to be or not to be i imagine you've probably seen this dan during your uh, farcical adventures it's a incredible ernst lubitsch movie that oh yes yeah it feels like a lost billy wilder picture really really brilliant satire it's uh actors versus nazis so i do think that tarantino uh, may have seen this in the run-up to inglorious bastards because there's a couple of sequences in here where similar very different but but similar concepts are played out and the tension in both is very kind of resonant of each other so if you're an inglorious bastards fan then do check out to be or not to be i'm not going to spoil any element of it it just takes you on a journey very fast paced very funny brilliant characters like the the billy wilder comparison is not something that i throw around often but it really really does feel like one of those uh, perfect movies so yeah to be or not to be it's on criterion i i rented it from movie madness on the criterion disc uh, in the states i don't know if it's got a uk criterion release but but it's certainly on criterion in the states and they've got their sale coming up take a chance on it in november it's just a, a brilliant brilliant movie dan is this one that you have seen then uh, i don't think i have no it's on my list ah yeah uh, bump it up I, like I, I i went i dipped my toes into lubich really kind of for the first time a few years ago after jen recommended a couple to me and i absolutely loved it and he became one of those directors where i'm like yeah i'm just gonna watch everything exactly um, but yeah, i've not same. done it yet so I'm, I'm working my way through yeah that's that's the main reason i picked it out to just the director but um i'm sure jen's seen this one because of her love for billy wilder and this is so so resonant of that but if she hasn't, then what a treat for both of you. Definitely bump it up your list. So good. You bring the class, but I'm going to elevate it to a whole new level with, <laughs> uh, with what I'm going to recommend next, Ooh, Sam. Excellent. Because this, this is a film that I had thought maybe I wasn't going to watch because I had thought it was going to be dumb. Oh, I know it. Can I guess what it is? You can. Just based on that. Is it Saw <laughs> X? It's it's not. I have seen that recently. It's not on my recommendations list, but I would like to just sidebar very slightly and just put this into our audience's mind. The Saw franchise is now basically just the the the, the game show Taskmaster, but in a with a horror veneer over it. The the most recent series was Mexico. They've done a Mexico theme for the mm. most recent of the Saw series. Right. Uh, and once again, we see a, uh, an irascible host setting a series of ultimately pointless and overblown tasks for a, a group of people who look unsure about what they've got themselves into and are very ill-equipped to deal with the task they've been set. I've taken you off the path of this masterpiece you're going to recommend. What is it, Dan? It's the Pope's Exorcist, Sam. <laughs> I was close. <laughs> I was so close. You were very you were very close. Yeah, I mean this is this is not a film 
This is not a film for fans of Lubitsch. I mean, maybe it is because, you know, you and I count ourselves among their number and and I think that you would very much enjoy this. Have you seen this one, sir? I haven't, no, but that pause that you did just made me think that you were saying, this is not a film. (laughs) I mean, that's that's very nearly true. (laughs) I try... I try not to. I try not to shit on things. Yes. Uh, oh yes. No, on this yeah. podcast or on social media. Yeah. Um, and I genuinely am uh, coming to this from a, a place of love because I re- I did really enjoy this movie. It gave me uh, everything I wanted. I was I'd read a couple of reviews that said that it it failed to do the thing I wanted it to do, which was be ludicrous because it was too po faced <laughs> to be silly but too silly to be scary. And I, kn- I knew it wasn't going to be a scary movie. Like There was no way this was going to be a, 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 a successful horror film for me. I, I find it increasingly difficult to, to find American horror, f- like supernatural horror, particularly scary, just because of the relationship that America has with spirituality and religion and the afterlife and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. More about that next time. <laughs> but, but this one, like I'll watch Russell Crowe chew furniture and chew scenery. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I watch this and... I don't really know what to tell you about it. It's 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 so fun and silly. Russell Crowe really commits to quite a brilliant Italian accent all the way oh through. Oh my god, amazing! And there's a I bit no where idea. he's being wow. he's being he's being told off by this kind of like performance review, I guess, in the Vatican of his exorcism antics. So you get the in media res thing, right, where he light like first like. Light spoilers for the cold open, so, you know, fast forward if you need. But he goes to a thing, a kid is possessed, he tricks the demon into going into a pig, and then he fucking shoots the pig with a shotgun. Whoa. That's how he solves that problem. Just blasts its fucking head off. Just absolutely, both barrels. Just decimates a pig. Um, A very expensive animatronic pig. (laughs) I hope your dog wasn't watching that. (laughs) He has no ability to recognise himself on screen. <laughs> <laughs> He's just there for the monkeys in human clothes and <laughs> rocket ships. That's what Peg likes in cinema. <laughs> and bird noises. Bird noises are key. Um, so, <laughs> so Russell Crowe comes back. You know, I've done another exorcism. I've done another exorcism. <laughs> uh, he's very pleased with himself. That's a very good impression of his Italian accent in this film. Well, uh, that's that's interesting because uh, uh, just a quick interjection. I did make a joke a long time ago that I'm sure other people have made, but it, it's relevant now. Um, an Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman walk into a bar. It's Russell Crowe playing Robin Hood. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, his 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 accent work is tops, and I love him. And I hope <laughs> if he ever hears that, and I don't know why he would, yeah. uh, I hope he isn't offended by this. Because Me too. whatever he's up to, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, same here. Lovely, lovely fella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who I do not want to get on the wrong side. Of. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> so he comes back, and one would assume, and he he's not very outward about this, but one would assume he's expecting to be praised for his successful exorcism but oh no we have a modern hip catholic church who oh. don't believe in don't believe in exorcism really and don't don't fully understand why russell crowe is um is still kept on the payroll because they think exorcism is bunkum so they're basically like i said they're having this performance review and they're getting him to defend what he's been up to and why he's spending all this money and presumably a lot of it is going on expensive wine it's worth noting at this point that this is proclaiming to be based on a true story. So there's that. That's really important. Wow. Uh, and they're like, hey, buddy, 
you're swanning around all over the world doing your air quotes exorcisms and uh, you're making the Catholic Church look bad because people don't want exorcisms. Uh, people want nice, friendly religion and not weird, old, scary devil stuff. And Russell Crowe's like, hey, you don't think the devil is real? And they're like, yeah, buddy, look, it's not like that. We just need to be like cool and hip and everyone... We're spending a lot of time covering up some things. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and and he he has the best rebuttal to any argument ever positioned on film, and he's basically like, "Who are you to t- who are you to tell me off? Who are you to tell me off? I I only answer to one man. I work directly for the Vatican." And then he says the line, and I'm pretty sure I am accurately quoting verbatim here. So maybe you wanted to take a double with my boss, or the Pope. <laughs> wow! And then he storms out, and then the rest of the film happens, and none of that matters because we've had that line. The rest of the film is amazing, and the stuff with the pig does come back. That's a setup. So, Fabulous. yeah, watch the film. It's fucking crazy, and I loved it. Right. Yeah, it's going on my list against all the odds. And it's, is this a 2023 release, or was this from a while ago? I can't remember. No, no, it's 2023. Yeah, it yeah. is. Great. Okay, so we'll, we'll talk about it further in your end-of-year list um, in December, I'm sure. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be one of those weird ones where it's like, oh, well, I've really recently talked about my number one film. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. All right. Well, um, my next choice will not be in that list because it's from 1956. And I know we bend the rules sometimes, but that's ridiculous. It is a wonderful, wonderful Western called Jubal, J-U-B-A-L, directed by Delma Daves. And this is another Criterion release, another, I think, relatively underseen Criterion release. But if you're a fan of Westerns, what a cast this has. We've got Glenn Ford, we've got Ernest Borgnine, and we've got Rod Steiger playing one of the most vile villains I think I've ever seen in anything. Um, Valerie French is also in this movie, and uh, it features, I think, the first appearance of Charles Bronson as well. And Bronson Mm. is fucking fantastic in this film. It's a supporting role, but he does recur. And very, very charismatic, very, very likable character. Um, So playing against type, you know, not the normal man on a mission revenge type person that he got typecast into. Um, More of a like, I wish this guy was my best friend type character in this movie. So, yeah, it, it basically follows Glenn Ford who is a wanderer but he befriends the owner of a ranch who hires him on he decides to stay in one place for the first time in a long time and as is so often the case the longer you stay somewhere the more problems pop up and these problems are very very uh, entertaining and um, yeah it, it all builds to a really really impactful third act like a lot of shit goes down in the third act that's pretty jaw-dropping so yeah i really really recommend this one another one of my favorites that i've watched in a long time it's called jubal j-u-b-a-l from 1956 and i recommend it dan have you seen jubal i have not seen jubal but it sounds very good it's so good it's so so good so um yeah dan after the Pope's Exorcist, I, I want to get on to your next recommendation. What have you got? Well, I don't know if I can go to quite the same heavy heights as either <laughs> of our most two most recent uh, recommendations, but yeah. I'm just going to recommend a, a just a solid murder mystery thriller mm. from 
2019 that I'd completely oh. overlooked and awesome. then stumbled upon recently. Um, I, I had to double check that I hadn't recommended it on uh, on one of the Bruce Lee podcasts because uh, I felt like I, I, I lose track of when I've seen things. You know, I think yeah, it's no oh, secret yeah, that yeah. last couple of weeks doesn't always mean last couple of weeks, especially when I've taken a, a good month off to go of and course. Yeah, yeah. stand in the Welsh woodlands murdering lovely people. But have you seen In the Shadow of the Moon, Sam? I haven't, but that's a great title. Yeah, it's good. It's directed by Jim Meckle, who wrote Cold in July, oh, which I yeah. loved. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, which I think is how I came to it. And it stars uh, Boyd Holbrook uh, with a, a really good like sort of supporting role from Michael C. Hall. Mm. And it starts out as like a, a, a lightly silly, uh, like Seven-esque thriller. It's an episodic picture, and it's moments in the life of a man who is and his relationship with this serial killer so it does the first chunk and then it flashes forwards a few years and it does the next chunk and then it flashes forwards a few years and does the next chunk i don't want to say too much about the central conceit because i feel like if you've managed to avoid finding out about it as i did you know how like when a film comes out and it's got a thing in the trailer and you watch it and then that thing doesn't happen until the last like 20 minutes and you're like fuck you trailer yeah. Um, I feel like Mickle managed to throw his weight around and stop that from being done with this film, and that's why I had not heard of it. <laughs> right. Because without knowing about that, it sounds eminently forgettable. Right. And and I genuinely wouldn't want to have known. Like I'm very glad I saw it without knowing. But I do think that if they've been able to market it on the thing that is unique and exciting about it that you shouldn't know about. Right. It it would have it would have negatively impacted my experience, but more people would have seen it. So right. it's a it's a real like it's a real like pr- like problematic situation. But but yeah, like I said, it's about it's about a policeman who is looking to make detective that old chestnut, and as a result, goes lightly off book when it comes to tracking down a serial killer who they thought had been caught or killed or, or something or other. So but he's resurfaced, and oh my god, we can get him now, and he he goes he he breaks a few rules to try and to be the one to bring in this serial killer because that'll that'll help him get detective that'll help him uh, you know progress in his career mm-hmm. as i'm sure you can imagine it doesn't necessarily go to plan and then the film goes to some places that i i very much did not expect and each time it jumps through this guy's life each time it it goes to another thing it introduces another like layer to what the story is what the film is cool that make it a really interesting kind of like reverse babushka doll of a plot structure wonderful where you're like oh fuck i didn't realize you know you zoom out and and it's completely recontextualized each time and it's not always 100 percent successful and once again there's some weird stuff with some pigs but that's all i watch these days stuff with weird <laughs> stuff with pigs so you know i'm afraid that's a given now oh, for cool. everything but but yeah no it's 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 really solid there's some really stuff in it and and again i can't compare it to this other film because that would spoil it but there's another film based on a very famous sci-fi story that i love and i thought was dog shit and this while not being a close enough to be considered like ripping it off touches on it and does the things i wanted the other film to have done so much better so this is um, finally resets the wrong that Michael Bay's Transformers did, is what you're saying. I can't believe that after all these years, you're saying that Michael Bay's Transformers did any wrong. <laughs> well, you know, the, the third one, what's it called? Dark of the Moon? Um, that's, ma- a, that's a masterpiece. Masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to 
extra features, extra features, extra features. Extra features. No extra features. and No, still there, none. There, Vanilla there, disk. There might be some news about extra features uh, coming at you for 2024. That's all I'll say about that. For now, that, uh, there are changes. <laughs> you are very afoot. much making a mountain out of that molehill. <laughs> well, it's big news, Dan. It's big news. But uh, speaking of news, how can people keep up to date with what's going on in your life online? Uh, I am on Instagram at Thirteen Finger FX, and I am on Blue Sky uh, at Thirteen Finger FX, and uh, and probably nowhere else. That's it. Yeah, that's all those things. Yeah, I'm I'm actually getting gearing up for a big old delete of everything but Instagram, I think. So please give me a follow uh, there at Sam Ashurst 23 or you can also get me at Letterboxd until that gets ruined as well because it's just been bought by a, a company for 50 million. So uh, at Sam Ashurst on Letterboxd. Any final thoughts? No, I think that's all of it. That's all of the things. Excellent. Well, in that case, thank you so much for listening. And we promise to be more professional next time. We promise. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.